Hello and welcome to the very first episode of I Am Ballet Cast Pod of Series. Today we are having Noor Kamal. Um, hello Noor, welcome to the very first edition. Hi Aisha, I'm really excited to be here with you and to be a part of the series. I'm equally excited. So, let's start with introducing you. Noor Kamal is perfectly lit and writes slash edits things in Egypt. Kamal was shortlisted for the Brunel University International African Poetry Prize in 2020, and their chapbook, Noon 2019, is part of the New Generation African Poets Sita series. Their writing appears in Asiam Mina, Anomaly, Rusted Radishes, Kabar, Keslan, Sukun, Voicemail Poems, Iktiar, 20.35 Africa, Sumu'u, and Mizna. Kamal writes about identity, language, sexuality, queerness, gender, oppression, femininity, trauma, family, lineage, globalization, loss, that's for a very long list. So, okay. Let's get questions. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, but it's it's good that you can reach all of these things. It's good that you can reach all of these things. It's not easy for, for people to write about this particular set of topics and the fact that there are so many is shows that you're like a very, very good poet. So let's get to the questions. <laughs> Thank you. Very kind. So have you <laughs> So have you always wanted to be a writer or is it something you discovered along the way? Um, I definitely think it's uh, something that's always been there uh, since I was little. I've always been writing things, songs, fan fiction, um, but I didn't really take myself seriously or like claim that as a part of my as a part of myself until uh, I went to university and it. I felt like I had this aha moment of, oh, I'm a writer. And that like was just as big a part of my identity as like other parts of my identity. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely something that's always been there, but I didn't like claim it until I was much older. I guess for most writers, it's usually there, but they don't really, they just kind of stumble on it after a very long while. So that's good. Okay. So how welcoming was your family? Did you have to offer a lot of explanations to say your parents or did they just take it that, oh, yeah, Nuri is not a writer? Uh, yeah, they were <laughs> uh, uh, like, thankfully, my, my family has uh, always been very supportive of me. Um, I'm, I'm a very, like, not secretive, but I'm, I'm a very, like, private person, like, even within my family. And they, they kind of res- respect that and give me like my privacy and whenever I come and I tell them, Oh, by the way, I've done this. They're like, oh, okay, that's great. Um, and they support me. Uh, they're, they're never surprised by something I come and tell them. They're like, Oh, you're right. You're now. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Like, you know, that's great. Um, <laughs> that's so yeah, they've been thankfully and like, they're very wonderful. That's really great. Cause most African parents do be like writing seriously. Couldn't you do something else? Like say, 
become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. I think I don't know why that's particular with African parents, but most of them are like, are like that. They usually just want you to do something that would, in their in their words, bring money to the family. Not really, not necessarily something like writing that doesn't really that not like it's not a high income um, skill, but they just assume that when you write, you not really get money. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. It's definitely not been very well paying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely something I've been I've been doing mainly because I, I love it. And it's the editing uh, part of it that um, like doing freelance editing work that has kind of sustained me. And uh, that's kind of also why my parents uh, are not, they don't push me because they're just like, oh, she she does make money. It's not a lot, but, yeah, but she so seems to be making money while also writing. Uh, and it's mainly because I, I just do a lot of editing work as well. Um, uh, my, my parents are very odd. Uh, they, they, they're very like, uh, they, they persuaded me not to become a doctor. <laughs> Wow, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be, you're going to, you're going to have a very difficult life. Uh, so they yeah. actually, uh, very much encouraged me to like do, I mean, they wanted me to be successful and, and rich, but, um, they didn't want me to, to have a difficult, um, life, especially like here in Egypt, um, like the medical profession. They were just very, um, uh, I mean, I was surprised. I was like, I, I, I was very, I was expecting them to be like, oh yeah, you need to be successful and, and rich and pursue these things. But uh, I think because they had like doctor friends and, and they knew that like being a doctor is not like a particularly fun or easy uh, life. And I was a very like shy uh, person, so they were, they just didn't want me to, um, to like struggle. Um, so they are uh, very un-African of them. They were like, no, yeah. please try, like do do something that you will enjoy doing and that's not going to make you struggle. I don't think they expected me to be a writer, <laughs> <laughs> but they're uh, <laughs> they're not mad about it. <laughs> that's really nice. Close to your parents for being so un-African about this. So um, many a poet center their craft on family experiences. So how do you how do you navigate the the realities around you? Do you include your family life in your in your writing? Um so I I write a lot about um my my family and myself or like family um dynamics. And uh it's really great because I write in English and uh my my my, my mom doesn't read English so it's fine. Um <laughs> so that's uh that's been uh very helpful i think in in navigating that um uh honestly yeah my 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 sister is maybe the only person who's read a lot of my uh my stuff and uh she's very proud of me uh i think there's some stuff i've written that maybe is a bit sensitive but um she she knows that it's just a way that i express myself that's really great um so um, I listened to your piece about your dad's death, and I'm so sorry about that. Um, the piece was it was so it was so heartwarming, and we could really see we could really hear the pain when the facilitator was reading reading it. So is writing your own way of dealing with grief, or 
is it is it a, a, a huge part of dealing with grief for you? Uh yeah, definitely. I've I've um I I think I've been trying to yeah, figure uh figure out a way. I think that grief is a very difficult um creature. Yeah. <laughs> Writing has like helped in some ways. Uh definitely. It's also been like a very difficult uh thing to try and write down. I think that's why a lot of people who like try and write about grief and it, it's it's almost like as hard as like grieving. Um but it does kind of for me at least it helps kind of put uh put it somewhere. I feel like sometimes I, yeah. I, I need to write just to put my my feelings and like be able to give words to them uh in a way that I, I don't really give myself time to in my like day to day life. So I'll just um I'll 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 have a space to put all the words and all the feelings and kind of make sense of, of things that sometimes are a bit difficult to make sense of. Alright. That's that's such a beautiful way to do it. And the thing is that most of the time when say mental health experts and most therapists would ask people to write. So I think it's really nice that you consider it as a way to deal with with grief and try to understand it. Um so about imposter syndrome, that's monster that that plagues all creatives. Do you still grapple with it or has it how has it influenced your growth as a writer? Oh yeah, I mean definitely. I feel like I'm an imposter all the time. I feel like I talk about imposter syndrome every day with very, with like different friends. <laughs> all of us feeling like we're imposters in our like various fields of just like I don't know how we're how we're getting by and like how people are like publishing our our things, but they seem to to like them. And we just like just like a, an imposter syndrome support group, me and my friends. Um, um, you mentioned yeah. that community with your friends, and I think that's so important for writers. Like, I always make sure that yeah. I'm in a community. Like, I always have other writer friends that understand what I'm going through, so that when I talk about it, I always have a support system. So that I always Definitely. have some someone to go back to. I think that's really great. So, next question. So when you were shortlisted for the Brunel African Poetry Prize, did did imposter syndrome come up, and how did you deal with it? Can you just give us like a rundown of how the whole experience of winning and if imposter syndrome came up, like how did you deal with it when when it did come up? Um, so I, I was actually shortlisted for the Brunel Prize in 2018. And I felt such imposter syndrome that I didn't tell anyone. I didn't share it with anyone. Um, oh. Like a, a couple of close friends, but I, I, I didn't really tell anyone. Um, yeah, I, that's. I mean, that's how deep the imposter deep syndrome world. like goes. Uh, and then I applied again. Uh, I said, and then I, I sent in another round of poems, and I, I, I didn't expect. Honestly, I did not expect to get shortlisted again. Wow. Uh, and then when I did, I felt like, oh, okay, like I am. I am a poet. Like um, at this point, I'd, I'd been published in a couple of more places, and I, I felt I felt more confident. And I think for me, this being uh, shortlisted the second time was very much like that feeling of like, oh, it wasn't like a fluke, or I'm not, an, I wasn't an imposter the first time. Like I, I did have like 
value and and it wasn't just like random or like like it, that's how it felt the first time I was like oh this is just this is a joke or this is yeah. like this is so ridiculous like how could they consider me and then the second time around I was like oh okay no I like oh, right yeah they 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 know I'm a poet I should probably believe it as well <laughs> and that's like what, what you said about um it being a fluke sometimes so the imposter syndrome is real yeah it's it's real like what you you said something about um being thinking that it was a fluke or it was a mistake and then I've I've honestly got had those moments where I feel like this this shouldn't be happening. Like maybe they 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 were supposed to pick someone else and then they picked me by mistake. So yeah, and yeah. See, that's 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 <laughs> about too embarrassed to tell anyone or tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's and that's the beauty of being um published or winning prizes, like apart from the recognition and all of that and the exposure, it kind of validates your work. It makes you feel like yeah. yes. This is, I'm actually a poet. I've done this, I've done that. And so it's, it's very, it's a very, um, yeah, it's a very rewarding process winning prizes and, and getting published. As an endogenous African poet, how would you describe mm-hmm. the literary space for the LGBTQ, um, in terms of community and opportunities? Like, how is that space for LGBTQ? Writers, um, not maybe the as many as much access or as many opportunities, and I think that's just because of where, um, where we are and the communities that we live in. Like Egypt is a very conservative society that I wouldn't really like uh, talk about these things, and yeah. Uh, and I, I identify as uh, non-binary, but that would be a very difficult thing to to try and explain in my society. Yeah. Uh, so even though I use like they them pronouns, I also use she her because that's how society uh, sees me. And you just kind of go with that as like as it comes to like opportunities for like community and writing. Uh, yeah, it, it's also very difficult. And I, I tend to look. Uh, abroad for a lot of um, opportunities that kind of affirm my my gender identity. Um, yeah, it's um I there are I, there are definitely some like spaces and opportunities I think, but they're very like uh, I think there's just like an issue of safety as well for a lot of uh, people. They don't really want to uh, risk um, their safety or compromise you know the, the quality of, of their life and I think that's that's definitely a, a big issue uh in Egypt yeah. a community here kind of at least here in Egypt is uh like private community and in, in, yeah. in spaces where you feel safe rather than like a very public um sense of community or like writing um that I mean it, it exists and it happens and there are a lot of people doing the work but it's it, it's always like um there's always this barrier of just making sure, yeah, hush, hush, and making sure everyone's just safe. Um, safe, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it, it's much. similar here to in Nigeria. It's just that, I don't know, most of mm-hmm. the communities, maybe it's because I have a lot of um, friends that are um, a part of the LGBTQ writers community in Nigeria, mm-hmm. and then I follow them a lot. So both yeah. the one in Nigeria is more... Um, how do I put it now? It's it's less 
hush hush. Like it's it's, yeah. it's, it's not Nigeria quiet. Nigeria and South Africa. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not quiet, but then at the same time, it's it's quiet. It's it's kind of complicated. Yeah. Like sometimes there would be like at certain festivals and things like that, you would always find brighter spaces, especially in Nigeria. Actually, I think that's um one of the things that we're mm-hmm. being able to get right here. Mm-hmm. Most writers' communities are um are accepting of LGBTQ writers. There's really not. not any form of judgment or anything like sure. that. But then most of the time it's it's still kind of hush hush. We would know amongst ourselves that okay, these certain people are part of the LGBT com- uh, community, but we wouldn't um really publicize it and yeah. it's we wouldn't really want to talk about it because there's still that fear. In as much as it's it's public, it's known, people are still afraid. So they're Certain measures that are taken to make sure and to ensure the safety. And I think that's really sad because at this point, I mean, it's 2021, we're supposed to be at a point where all these things are, are not supposed to matter and, um, writers from the LGBT community don't, don't really need to, um, look outside and have to start going abroad to look for opportunities. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, and uh, I only think Nigeria is uh, accepting and put anyone in danger, uh, and these writing spaces kind of being more liberal, but at the same time, yeah, very hush-hush. Hush-hush. I think it's going to get any better. I think it's always going to have to be this um, situation where everyone that's part of the LGBTQ community has to hide and has to keep everything hush-hush. Or do you think that there's any hope for the... LGBT community in Africa, do you think it's always going to have to be like this? It's always going to have to be hush hush and and it's always going to be the situation where um you have to watch out for everyone's safety and make sure that everyone is safe. Feel I feel hopeful. Um, I I can't speak for for uh, you know all of Africa obviously. Mm. Um, I I feel like things are definitely um. Uh, changing just like even the last five years like things like there's a little bit here in Egypt there's a little bit more representation there are more conversations being had uh, about the LGBTQ plus community about the trans community about the queer community um, so I, 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 I am a hopeful person um, probably going to be uh, slower than anyone would like, but yeah, I think seeing a lot of young, the like younger people and younger generations kind of be more open about it and like push back against like societal norms has has made me a little bit hopeful uh, in a way that I wasn't say when I was 18. So yeah, you know, I, I yeah, I I think there's hope for sure, <laughs> especially in like the bigger bigger cities. Uh, and, and, uh, countries that have, like, I guess, more diverse, uh, populations. Yeah. Um, so, um, I don't know if you, you read this particular material from the Tampa Press workshop. Um, um, 41, four starts by Janet Malcolm. So there was something I saw in that particular, um, piece. So um, in that particular piece, um, a 
a painter or an artist said something about the LGBT community. Um, he said that LGBTQ artists are seen as more authentic and more original and artistic. Do you think this is this is true, or is it just something that that um just seen as one of those weird stereotypical comments about groups of people that they've never really interacted with? Um, to clarify to who the writer is. Um, I definitely think uh, LG forty one false starts by John. Oh yes. Um, I did not get all the way through that text. By Janet Malcolm. Was it uh, that's interesting that she that Janet uh, that Malcolm says that. Um, I agree to an extent. Um, I think it's also like, yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. Uh, I would agree. I can understand. Uh, like where that's coming from, and that it is true in, to a certain extent. Um, because I feel that. A lot of, uh, queer and LGBTQ plus writers often have to like, the things that they want to talk about, they can't talk about them, uh, like straight, in straightforward ways. So often we think of creative ways to say what we want to say. And so we have to think of, uh, for me, I, I often have to think of like different ways to say what I want to say or different forms, uh, and to kind of play around with uh, text. So in, in that sense, yeah, I think, uh, that the community is, is, uh, creative or original in that, uh, there's also like a lack of representation. So when you don't really see yourself written anywhere or things written about you or your community, you tend to have to create it, right? And, yeah. you know, creating is like being creative. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I do, I do agree with that to, to an extent. All right, and I think I actually do agree with you too because I feel like for straight artists, it's kind of like they have to hide certain things, and there are certain things that um, they can easily say and talk about, <clears throat> not, not necessarily in their art, but then in everyday conversations. But for LGBT um, artists, it's it's much more harder to talk about certain things that only they would be going through. So. I believe that they they are also more original and and they're more authentic with their art because they talk about their um, feelings more and then they don't really they just let everything out in their art and I feel like for straight artists it might not always be the same thing it might not always be the case with with straight artists so uh huh about feminism I think this is I think for every um, conversation anytime it goes to feminism and then about sexuality these are really the, the most controversial parts of any conversation so about feminism what what does feminism mean to you and is yeah is Africa doing its part to be part of the conversation the feminist conversation do you think Africa is really putting its weight in in feminist movement uh, again I, I can't speak for all of Africa um I, I know a lot of feminists. I am a feminist. I think feminism is, is, um, 
is doing its best <laughs> in Egypt, at least. Um, I know a lot of uh, hardworking feminists who are, who are who are out there like doing the work and 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 trying. Um, feminism to me means everything. It, it's it's a, again it's a part of my identity, just as um, being a writer uh, or being Egyptian is part of my identity. Uh, it's a crucial part of. Uh, who I am and, and existing in this world as a feminist, uh, a, a, you know, demanding uh, equality for yeah. women. I, I don't think we're an equal society until everyone is equal and everyone means everyone. And a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. Why do I write? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I write for a lot of the, the reasons I, I just said, like feminism is one of them. Uh, Queerness is one of them. I, I mean, I, I write. I write originally. I wrote originally for me, uh, and not feeling like very visible, uh, or feeling like the things that I was reading. And then I went and like studied literature, and also felt like. Just not, and then when I found other like specifically African writers and writers writing. Uh, in Arabic or combining Arabic and English together that inspired me. I was like, oh, this, like this, I'm allowed to do this as well. Like I'm, I'm allowed to be seen and that's, that's valid. So I mean, I write, um, uh, I guess it's like almost like, like documentation. It's like to say that, oh, like I, I, I think people have a hard time kind of visualizing or understanding them. I mean, even when like, um, I was in, in the UK or the US, just being a well, a quote unquote well-spoken, uh, Egyptian, yeah. uh, was like, wow. It was <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'm actually much more complex than just, <laughs> than just being able to speak English. Um, and so that was, yeah, it's just like, just even have, trying to have those conversations where it wasn't just about like your intelligence. Uh, or the fact that you can speak English is, it was difficult enough in those spaces, let alone trying to be like, oh, I, I, there's so much else like going on in me and my identity and like my, the intersections of my identity. Um, so like being able to like claim space and be like, oh no, this is, there's a lot more here and, and people are very complex in my society. Uh, do I have a writing routine? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish I did. I, I, <laughs> I, I just kind of, I write in bursts. Uh, sometimes I'll be very intentional and I'll be, I'll dedicate like a couple of hours to writing something that I really want to write. Other times I'll suddenly feel like, oh, I really want to write this thing. Uh, or I'll get like an idea or I'll feel very inspired and I'll sit down and I'll write it and I may come back to it. I may not. So I wish I was more organized. I wish I was a writer who had a writing routine, but it, it just, like, honestly, I, I've, I've just been very lucky. Yeah. I feel like the, the whole idea that writers have this routine and this thing where I feel like I'm talking to a lot of writers and you just, I feel like, you know, one of, you've actually kind of like cemented it for me. I feel like all writers don't really have, a lot of writers don't have a routine. It's just very random for a lot of writers because I talk to a lot of my writer friends and they don't really have strict routines like, okay, they wake up in the morning and they write for five, six hours or anything like that. 
So I think I think it's just really one yeah. of those those myths <laughs> that writers are really organized and they're always at their desks with coffee writing yeah. every day. So we're not. I, I am the least <laughs> organized person you will ever meet. I, I, I somehow managed to get things uh, done. I'm a I'm a very big procrastinator. Uh, but when I when I feel very passionate about something or I really like something, I I'll sit down and 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 write it. But it it really is for me when I feel like writing, I write. It's not. I I can't just I can't stay like oh from like five o'clock to seven o'clock I'm gonna write. Like I yeah. it depends on how I feel. Like I could just not be in a place to write. Um, it I I can't I can't do that. My 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 brain doesn't work that way. Um. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm gonna, an- <laughs> I'm gonna answer your question about, uh, yeah, the, the chapbook, because I feel like that, that's okay. relevant to writing routines and being disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, for writing, <laughs> writing my chapbook and getting published, honestly, that was just, like, luck. I, I was contacted by, um, Kwame Dawes and the African Poetry Book Fund, uh, and they were like, you know, it was after I got shortlisted the first time for the Brunel Prize in 2018. And they're like, oh, we think we like your poetry. Uh, would you like to submit a chapbook? Um, and I was like, let me see what I have. <laughs> let, me, let me see if I can put something together. together. And just like, honestly, by, by luck, I had like enough poems that I liked uh, together uh, at the time. And I was like, here, I, I had a friend read it. And she's like, yes, these make sense together. Um <laughs> Like they all had like similar themes, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah. Sub- submit this." And I submitted it, and they're like, "Yeah, this is this is great. We love this." And I was like, "Really? <laughs> great." <laughs> um, so I, I've fallen I've fallen into a lot of things, honestly, just like by sheer uh, luck, um, and just ha- like I just had a bunch of poems on hand. I put them together, and and they were published. Um, there was actually no writing involved in my chat book. Uh, it was all just poems that I felt like were very similar in theme, and I put them together. And um, the African Poetry Book Fund was like, "Yeah, this, this is, we like this. We yeah. will publish this." And I was like, oh, "That's, wow, thanks." <laughs> and that's the shocking thing that most. Um, so yeah, that was again that goes back to like not having not having the routine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it really is like it just it just happened. It was there was like no routine. There wasn't like the work. I didn't put any work in. It was like uh, I'd already done all of that and like just put it. Uh, I, I it was literally someone telling me like, can you put some poems together and make a chapbook? And I was like, let me see. And then I was like, yeah. And it just happened. Like it is. Um, yeah. So like there was. I want to be like, yeah, I put a lot of work and effort into it, but I I, I didn't. I I can't <laughs> lie. I say that. Yeah. <laughs> And I think I think most people just don't get that sometimes these things are not as organized or as um, thought out as as they appear to be. And then it's actually quite I'm actually surprised that you just put everything together and then you had all those poems, so many poems, and that you could just put them together and they just make a chapbook. Like that's that's so unusual and so unique. I find that really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, I think um, I I was talking to the, my friend who who helped me put it together, and there were lots of poems that didn't make sense together, and and she really I think having a, an editor or a friend who can read your writing is very very yeah. important. That that's my it biggest really like the person who does the most work is, is are my friends who read <laughs> my writing. <laughs> 
I, I, I do like the writing, but making all the work of making it makes sense, yeah. <laughs> and that's actually the thing. It's you write something, but then it's the editing that really brings it out, that really makes it to be as beautiful as people out there, as readers would see. So, yeah, editing is a very important part of the process of the writing process. Yeah. So, the final question. Yes. What would you have done with your life if you weren't a writer? Um, what would I have done with my life if I, if I wasn't a writer? Yeah. Uh, that's a hard one. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's also because I'm, I'm, I am an editor. So I feel like, uh, the two kind of respond to each other. Yeah. I think I, I, I would probably still be, uh, an editor. Uh, or, uh, I've, I've been getting into translation a lot and I've wanted to get into translation for a very long time. So I think that, that was that probably as well. I would have probably still been an editor or a translator. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd still be, I'd still be in this, this field if I were, even if I weren't a writer, I'd still have something to do in this field. I don't know. I can't imagine. Um, Not being a writer. Apart, apart, apart from apart from being uh, a doctor, which you know is, <laughs> is a very far away dream, <laughs> a very far away dream now. Um, I can't really uh, imagine anything else. I also really wanted to be a a teacher. I feel like that yeah. that was also something that again. But I feel like a lot of writers are also teachers, so that that makes that kind of goes hand in hand with that. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lou, for having this conversation with us. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was really nice getting to meet you. Yeah, I, I was very, very happy to be here with you and, and thank you for, for having, having me on. It was, I had a, a lot of fun and I really enjoyed your, your questions. Thank you. All right. Bye. Okay. Thank you for joining us on the very first episode of the Poet Box series. I've been your host, Aisha Kabir Mohammed, in conversation with Noor Kamal. Join me next episode as I delve into the mind of Ghanaian poet, Hene Kore Kwaku. Goodbye.